and welcome back for Back in My Play. This is episode number two of the podcast, and this week we're going to be talking about arguably one of the greatest Super Mario games of all time, Super Mario World. And to, before we get into any of that stuff, I want to remind you, you can check out our website at backinmyplay.com. I really hope you're subscribing through iTunes, and if you are, if you could submit a review or a rating on there, uh, we would really appreciate that. That helps kind of get us up in the rate, rankings of iTunes and just so we can get your feedback as well. And we have an official topic thread on neogaf.com if you are a member of that community as well. But before we get into that, same cast this week again. Uh, first off, coming back uh, you know, for, for another round. Trey, how you doing? Doing fine. Doing fine. Caffeinating. I- yeah, I'm, I'm getting caffeinated, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. And then we have uh, Josh Hillier is back again, uh, letting us know that he does also love Nintendo, although we're going to be doing some Sega next week. Uh, yeah, and you know, Sega's cool. I know the whole uh, Sega does what Nintendo thing uh, probably still resonates with some of you who are of the same age as me, but uh, yeah, you yeah, know, Sega's good. And And hey, everybody, glad to be here. Yeah, I think Sega will be uh, – we're, we're, we're going into the future or the future past of Sega. I guess it was really the destruction of Sega with Shenmue uh, next week. <laughs> it is a uh, a game that I, I, I was super hyped for thanks to the official Dreamcast, Sega Dreamcast magazine. And let's, let's be real. That's next week though. We're here to talk about Super Mario World and again – I'm going to give you a little bit of a background of the game and really what it means in the timeline of video game history. First off, it came out in Japan on November 21st, 1990. So if you think about this, keep that in mind for a second because it came out in the United States on August 23rd, 1991, like a full nine months after it came out in Japan. So if you didn't have Nintendo Power, you were one of the cool kids that decided to go and check out EGM or something like that. You knew about this game. You knew it was coming. You, you saw like people in Japan are just playing this thing right now just like we did with Super Mario Brothers 3. Along with that release date in the United States, it was a launch title. So this came packed in with your Super Nintendo into controllers for 200 bucks. It was like the most unbelievable deal in the history of video games, when you look at it today where we're getting you know, an Xbox One with a Kinect and a controller for $499, inflation you know, is in consideration, but still. And one of the things that uh, we're going to be hitting on is just the, the overall impact that this kind of had on the future of Nintendo. They came out with the Famicom in 83 and then the Super Famicom came out in 1990. So seven years later, uh, they had their first you know, sequel to a console, very similar to what we just had in this last generation with the Xbox 360, the PS3. We had about six and seven year gaps as well. So there's a little bit of a parallel there. And then also, uh, we're going to be playing right now. I'm going to clip in uh, two early commercials talking about the Super Nintendo, and Super Mario World. So listen to that right now. Suddenly the sky is a little clearer. The water is a little bluer. The road's a little bumpier. 
the jumps are harder, the level's deeper, the character's smarter, the sound is hotter, the graphics cooler, the secret's darker, the danger's fiercer, the challenge a whole lot tougher. And suddenly the world's a more exciting place to be. Super Mario World. It comes only as part of the system it was created for. The Super Nintendo Entertainment System, the next generation from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, super power. Alright, so those are really cool. And then, uh, along with that, I wanted to, to mention that it was really interesting. when I The first time I went to uh, Japan a couple, like a year ago, I, I saw Super Mario World in a game shop. And it wasn't Super Mario World, it was Super Mario Brothers 4. Did you guys, have, did you guys know this? Uh, no, I did not. No, I had no idea. That's really cool to me. It literally says on the cart, Super Mario Brothers 4. Um and not like, you know, Super Mario World. And even in some of the earlier commercials, they would put in a, uh, you know, they'd show the title of the game. And you could tell it wasn't a finished product because on the title screen, instead of saying Super Mario World, it says Super Mario World, Super Mario Brothers. And it doesn't have that Super Mario Brothers subtitle in the U.S. release. At least I'm like 99% sure. I, I should, probably should have fact-checked this by turning on my Super Nintendo a second ago. But... Uh, that was one thing that kind of looked weird in the commercials that I didn't see in the actual game. And then uh, finally, it, their producers, uh, the producer was Shigeru Miyamoto, obviously, and uh, sound programmer, you know, coming back again for another week is uh, Koji Kondo. The cool thing that he did with the music here is that he actually used one track or he had one song that was in like that first stage and then he modified it for all the uh for like 90 percent of the rest of the music in the game he just did modifications of that one track like he'd slow it down or he'd speed it up or he'd kind of change the the tone of it to to make it sound completely different and that i guess i never really picked up on that until i uh heard that but it's really cool and finally the uh the best thing that came out of this whole Super Mario World thing was the cartoon that came on uh, Saturday mornings where it was uh, finally much better much better animation compared to the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which was pretty terrible. And, um, you know, some hard-hitting uh, current event type stories throughout, the, uh, throughout that series. Like, um, well, we won't get into that. But I have a question. Yeah, man. Okay, so this game is called Super Mario Brothers 4 in Japan. Yeah. But in Japan, Super Mario Brothers 2, what we think of as Super Mario Brothers 2 was Doki Doki Panic. Correct. So, okay, so Mario 1 was the same Mario 1 that we had. Correct. Mario 2 in Japan would be the Lost Levels. Well, it was uh, – our Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan is Super Mario USA. It's a nice pink cart. Um, so they didn't have, like our Super Mario Brothers 2 is, didn't have a number over in Japan. Okay. So it's just like sort of a, an offshoot kind of game there. Well, it's weird. It it was like really popular when it came out at Super Mario USA, like it sold a ton of copies. Right. Um, but they were already familiar with Doki Doki Panic. I mean, they played that a, a few years back. Okay, so, but I'm just trying to figure out what, okay, so they consider Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario Brothers 3, so Correct. for them, Super Mario Brothers 2 is the Lost Levels, or what we call the Lost Levels? Correct. That Yeah, that came out on the uh, Famicom Disk system as uh, Super Mario Brothers 2, like straight up, like that's okay. what it was called. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, cool, I just want to clear that up. 
Yeah, some and, it, and it's weird. Like the uh, Yoshi's Island are uh, for the. I was about to ask you about that. Yeah, so Yoshi's Island for the Super Famicom was just Yoshi's Island. It wasn't Super Mario World Two. Which in the uh, states it is correct, and I can confirm. I'm looking at the title screen right now. The U.S. release does not say Super Mario Brothers anywhere on the title screen for Super Mario World in the United States. So I, again, I don't know why. Like if you watch those commercials, and I'll link to them in the show notes. Like you can see, it must have just been an early, uh, you know, an early uh, copy of the game that they were using to to record the commercial because there were some changes made before that actual release it's just weird like it, it, it was super weird to see i'm like oh they really did call it super mario brothers 4 yeah that is um so that is the history of super mario world and we're going to be coming back in just a moment we're going to talk about some pre-launch super nintendo stuff because that ties in as this being a uh, launch title so stick around here's some great music from super mario world So again, we're, we're back in this beautiful time machine. We'll make it a DeLorean this week because I love Back to the Future. And we are going to 1991. And along with that, we had uh, Nintendo doing some huge, like a huge amount of promotion for the Super Nintendo. Because again, there was that famous news story out there. It's like, you know, parents are asking, why do I need to buy my kid a new Nintendo? Like he already has one. Nintendo's you know, making us buy a new system, spend more money going to Japan when Japan's always already really strong. So uh, one of my earliest memories of Super Mario World was not even in Nintendo Power. It was going to the uh, Liberty Tree Mall in Danvers, Massachusetts. And just one random weekend, we didn't even know it was there. We started doing some shopping and it's just like these huge signs for Super Nintendo. And then there's like two dozen TVs set up with Super Nintendos, like in those display cases that would later show up in stores, I guess, uh, with like the Super Nintendo behind closed, like behind plastic, two controllers popping out of that thing, and a 19-inch TV. And they had all the launch games and a bunch of the future games that would be coming to the Super Nintendo in the summer, like this was, I guess it must have been probably a month or two before the the actual release, because uh, again, we're looking at an August uh, August twenty third for the release of the Super Nintendo. But they had uh, consoles set up and just lines and lines of kids, like it was pandemonium there. Like it was, 
again, kids seeing the future of Nintendo and they might have not seen like EGM or stuff like that where they had pictures of Super Mario World and going in, being able to get in line and play Super Mario World coming off the – really off the tails of Super Mario Brothers 3 blew my mind. And it wasn't even that. It was when I got to see an early build of The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past – I, I was I was completely sold. It was then my brother and I who, interestingly enough, we we were talking last weekend about how we kind of fell out of out of gaming. At that time, he was a hardcore Nintendo guy. He like we needed to have a Super Nintendo at from that point on. Um, did you guys have any experience with those like mall tours for for the Super Nintendo before it came out? No, I did not. No, and I'm also incredibly jealous. That sounds yeah. so great. It was it was literally what you would consider to be the greatest thing ever as a child. It was, uh, like I said, a free teacher. They had F-Zero. They had Pilot Wings. They had Super Mario World. And at this point, like, they had some good software already, like, at least in development because of the Japanese launch uh, coming a couple months prior. And it was... Uh, you know, we got free T-shirts. It was it was great. And then from that point on, I was on a mission. And again, I was four years old, or I was I was five years old when this happened. So I was on a a mission to get a Super Nintendo. And it reminds me, like along with that, they had uh, it started showing up in, in like Nintendo Power and stuff like that. And there was a contest because our our family we didn't really have a lot of money. Like we didn't have. Like we were like that one or two games a year kind of family. We didn't have a ton of money, so there was, we probably weren't going to get a Super Nintendo. And in the back of Nintendo Power, there we had these little playing cards, and there was there were contests in Nintendo Power that basically, if you if you found like this specific set of training cards, you could win a Super Nintendo. So my mom was super cool. Like she would help me go through the Nintendo powers. She would read the contest rules and stuff like that and try to help me find these cards because I mean, I guess in the end she would save 200 bucks. So yeah, we, motivation. Oh yeah, it was, it was great. And it was, and again, it, it reminds me of like those, those weird playing cards that they had of all the different Nintendo characters and stuff like that in the back of Nintendo power. But I was so lucky to, to wake up on Christmas Day, thank you to Grampy and Grammy, God rest their souls, who would somehow, like every year they got us a pass for the Museum of Science in Boston. So like we kind of knew going ahead of time we weren't getting Christmas gifts because that was our Christmas gift. They got us year passes for the Museum of Science. Uh, and thank you for that too because it got me interested in cool stuff. But the – that morning, waking up in 1991 and seeing a Super Nintendo with Super Mario World on the cover, I I kind of did the same thing with N64 when it came out like that kid, but I totally lost my shit. I freaked out. I did not want to do anything. And then 30 minutes later, we had to get ready to go to church. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I, wow. so it was that whole thing of like – Oh my god! Oh my god! I gotta get home. Gotta get home. We gotta open that Super Nintendo. Like we didn't even get to hook it up. It was just sitting in that box, waiting for us, to, like my brother and I, to get home and to pop open Super Mario World. And along with it, my parents, I guess, were in on this, so they found out and got us Super Ghouls and Ghosts uh, as well. Which 
at the time as a you know a five year old uh, I think I did all right with but like that terrible evil thing of parents basically saying like yeah we can't afford it no we, we can't get it and like basically writing it as our top of the list for Santa like that's all we wanted was Super Nintendo we didn't want clothes we didn't want anything else we wanted a Super Nintendo and it had to it had to come and uh, that if I didn't get that Super Nintendo that year my life might be way different like I probably wouldn't be doing this right now um, that's, that's a really interesting outlook on it you know and that's, that's probably about right hey I, I have a quick question um, what did your t-shirt look like that you got at the mall tour? So it was just like a white t-shirt and it literally just said like super, like something like Super Nintendo, you know, not world tour, but like Super Nintendo mall tour or something like that because that's what it was. I I, um, I think we, we saw something later on that it was in Nintendo Power, but they were going from mall to mall across the country. Like they went to Boston, to New York and, and LA and, and stuff like that. And we were just super lucky to to be one of those malls that just randomly strolling through the the mall, there was two dozen Super Nintendos before the thing even came out. It was the most magical, unexpected thing that has ever happened in my life, which probably is kind of sad. No, um, but you no. but you guys have kids, yeah. I'm, when maybe when I have a kid or something like that, I'll be like, man, this is the most magical day of my life. But up until that point, like that that was that was like. I, I I can die. Like I, I saw the look at the Legend of Zelda. Like look at all those colors. Look at it was raining outside. It was awesome. So that build was pretty close to what ended up coming out. Yeah, it, of Zelda. It, it it only had like the uh, I literally got to play not even like they had it on I think five minute timers. So you only got to play about five minutes of the game, and it was just enough to like swing the sword a little bit. And I got to play just Super Mario World and just. Uh, the Legend of Zelda because I think we had to wait like half an hour and I was trying to ask my mom about this yesterday. Like, mom, do you, do you remember that she had no memory of this? And um, like we had to wait like 35, 40 minutes in line. And obviously my parents didn't want to stand there and let have me and my brother wait in line and my sister was with us. So she didn't want – she didn't care about Nintendo. Um, so it was – I mean I was just happy to get to play like see five minutes of Super Mario World and uh, see uh, – the Legend of Zelda was was it. I was I was so happy. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, I also want to say that having a child, yes, that's it's a magical day, but it's also terrifying. And so I'm willing to bet <laughs> this was not terrifying. No, it was it was great. And the the only other pre-launch memory I have after that is going to this rich family's house that that we were friends with, and they had uh, a Super Nintendo before it came out, like before Christmas. It was probably like a week before Christmas. I think it was like a Christmas party. And they had Home Alone and Super Mario World. And they didn't want to play it because they were too bored of Super Mario World and Home Alone at that point. And I had the biggest hissy fit of my childhood. Um, but again, we, we got one like a week later. So after that, it was smooth sailing. But, um, you know, Trey, you know, I, I wanted to ask you – Early memories, like pre-launch, did you did you get to see any like commercials? Were you hyped up for this launch? I was not hyped for Super Nintendo. No, because I hadn't seen anything. I was I was still riding on the hype of the NES. I was, you know, I was so you're playing like Mega Man Five or something like that, right? You know what? I uh, I did not play any Mega Man games until the Collection Edition came out. Like, oh yeah, hmm. was not was not a Mega Man fan. 
uh, Zelda, pretty much, and Mario, Ninja Turtles games. My dad had Ghost and or was it Ghouls and Ghosts? Ghouls and Ghosts. Was, was it Ghouls and Ghosts? Okay, he had that one, and I I played that a lot. I was terrible at it because it's such a hard game, but so you know, hard. I uh, I did not get caught up in any of the pre-launch stuff for Super NES. I um actually did not know anything about it until I got it for Christmas, and once I got it. It was on. So, did you get it in '91 too? Yes. Did, oh wow. Yep. How, how about how about you, Josh? I didn't get it in 1991, uh, and it's one of those cases where I did not yet have a subscription to Nintendo Power, so I was able to just like live in this bubble of not even knowing that such a thing existed as the Super Nintendo. Um, I hadn't stumbled across it at any mall tours or anything. Uh, we got it the next Christmas, though. That's when my parents hooked me up with it. And I'm an only child, so um, you know I didn't have like an older sibling or anything to uh, keep me in the know about this stuff. Um, so it's still, I know I, I talk about this every week. I feel like, but it's just it was a, such a different time in terms of media for media coverage of video games compared yeah. to what we see today. Uh, that you really could just not even know that things existed back then. Well, even if you had Nintendo Power, I. Thank you uh, to today's internet. I can find like old issues of Nintendo Power. And then last night I ordered like 10 copies of Nintendo Power off eBay from like the Super Nintendo era because I thought it might be good for for reference for the show. But you can get digital copies of the magazine if you look hard enough. And even uh, a – I was looking through – like they had like a a mailbag section and people could write in and and ask the editors questions. And this guy – wrote in and said, hey, you know, I I heard about Super Mario World and this thing called the Super Famicom in this competing magazine. Did you get scooped? What's the deal? And and they and like the editor wrote back like like this snooty comment, we only like uh, things could still be changing like with the with the hardware and the game. So we don't uh, we don't like talk about rumors and, and speculation and stuff like that. We only talk about uh, – we just try to be like the, um, I guess, most up-to-date and correct about the, the latest uh, video games out there. So we don't talk about stuff that's out in Japan and things like that. I'm like, man, Nintendo Power basically just censored all the cool stuff that was going on in Japan. And again, I think everyone out there that had EGM got a completely different experience from our us Nintendo Power like basically Chinese internet closed circuit uh, view of the video game world because that's all we knew was, oh, cool, I guess, you know, Castlevania 3 is coming out soon. What? The Super Mario Brothers 4 in Japan? What? It looks awesome. It looks way better than anything that's out there. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> this hardware that we don't even know exists. That's just, that's just so crazy. It's also funny to imagine uh, the media being concerned with being correct. Well, it, I mean, media in quotes Nintendo Power. Like it was, it was guys. Yeah, PR mouthpiece. Yeah. It, it, it was to, it totally was. And again, it was. It's it's really cool to look back at some of those old magazines and to to see how they present some games. Also, to see how horrible the writing is in those magazines. Like the like I'm not a great writer, but the grammar throughout that magazine in the the late '80s, early '90s was really terrible. <laughs> 
So uh, let's talk about some of our earliest memories playing the game because like I said, I, I had to go to church on Christmas Day, which um, parents, if you're going to do that, like just go Christmas Eve, all right? Like go Christmas Eve and let your kids play with stuff on Christmas Day. But exactly. um, it, we got home, we opened it up, we saw there was like AV cables and all this stuff in there. Thank God. My dad – I swear I have to go to my dad's house like every other week to get him to like switch his TV back from a cable box to his Blu-ray player because he can't figure out how to do it. But he somehow figured how to hook up our Super Nintendo. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we were going like we played all day. We had family come over and we did not get away from that TV except to eat dinner. And that was it. We, we played Super Mario Brothers all day. We played some Super Ghouls and Ghosts, but we couldn't get anywhere in it. And it was just like – the, the constant, like, like we didn't get along. So I'd be constantly fighting. like, let's play two-player. Let's play two-player. He's like, no, I'm going to play a one-player game. I'm like, it's like the same thing, but he wanted to play one-player. So I'd have to watch him for like half an hour until I complained enough to get my mom to let me jump on for a little bit. And then I wouldn't get very far. But you could start feeling like a rhythm of the, the, the physics and stuff like that, which are different than Super Mario Brothers 3. I was talking with Trey off the air, and I, I after beating Super Mario World, I went and popped in. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 and you can tell the physics are way different obviously the flying is way different but mm-hmm. the, the 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 thing that kind of stood out to me when I was playing it is that were, there were so many secrets there was so much stuff in this game that you could discover and it was like everything was just completely new even though the graphics weren't great it wasn't as fast as Super uh, as Sonic the Hedgehog but the, the there were so many secrets. Like when you found one of those keys and locks, like you were like, oh my god, I just found something no one else knew. And again, it was that playground situation of going in and saying, dude, did you find the key in you know to to get ac- access to the Star Road? What Star Road? What's that? No man, there's this thing. It's like the Star Road. It's like all these levels, and you got to find a key to get out of them. It's like that's that's not true. Come on, Kevin, you're lying. And. Um, <laughs> I, and I would have to literally have a friend come over and be like, dude, look at it. I'll, I'll load up my save and show him the Star Wars. He'd be like, holy crap. And then he'd leave and go home back to his house and try to open it up himself. And I think we – again, we were lucky because with uh, Super, uh, Nintendo Power, like there were plenty of maps and stuff and guides of how to access a lot of these secret zones. So we were able to get access to Star Road. We were able to get access to all the different colored blocks like the yellow, red, uh, blue and green blocks to to – open up different areas and to have those items and levels. And we, we just kind of like flew through the game. And I think in two or three days we got all the way through it, or at least my brother beat it. And I was still just trying to do my own little thing on that second save file because of course you had to be the first save file and uh, just do my best to, to, to get through it. And then the day after Christmas uh, we went to the store and I got home alone for super Nintendo. Whoa. Which, Thanks. I, thanks. Nintendo Power didn't save me from buying that one. But um, and, and those games were like sixty or seventy dollars. Oh, they were super expensive. You and I went to this is like kind of off topic, but after my first communion, I got like a hundred bucks, and I went to Sears that night, and I'm like, I'm going by Link to the Past tonight. This is happening because you guys didn't buy it for me. I have all this money. They made me buy a Huffy bike instead of spending. It was a hundred. It was like ninety dollars for. A link to the past on Super Nintendo. What? It was super expensive. I swear to God, it was like eighty bucks. It might have been like eighty dollars, and I had a hundred dollars, 
And I had to buy a $100 10-speed Huffy bike instead of that. And I was so pissed. Like I had never been so mad about not being – because it was right there. I had the money. It was my money. My parents forced me to buy a freaking bike. I know there's people that have stores like that where their parents forced them to do stuff with money that they got even though they want to spend it on stuff like video games and like Big League Chew or something like that. But um, so, so Josh, kind of early memories of the game. What are your earliest like – uh, impressions when you were playing it? Were, were you kind of like blown away or, you know, some people say they, they went and kind of checked it out and said, it doesn't look that much better than Super Mario Brothers 3. It's kind of just like a better version of it. Yeah, I don't know who those people are because I was completely just enamored with it. Um, you know, even, I think it's like one of the first levels, um, there's this huge bullet bill that goes flying by. You know, and so you could just see the scale of enemies. It's like how large enemies could be in the game. Um, I, and and I, I was just blown away, you know, because uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, yes, it had sort of an overworld thing going on, but not like this. Not where it was really integrated to this extent. And um, but with all of these secret exits and everything. And, and, I, and I picked up on a couple of those early on. And so then that became my obsession playing through the whole game was... I wonder if there's a hidden exit in this level. I'm going to find it, right? And so I would just spend all this time searching and searching. And so a game that I think if you just played it through without trying to find the hidden exits, you could probably play it in, what, four or five hours? Maybe a little yeah. less than that. Um, became like this Skyrim kind of game for me, you know, like 100-plus hours because of just searching every nook and cranny and... uh and just, you know, kind of like a Super Metroid thing of bombing everywhere. I would like even fall into this. Is, this is a really funny, sort of embarrassing thing in retrospect. I would uh, like fall intentionally into gaps sometimes, like into pits that I knew would probably kill me. But what if that led somewhere interesting? Was my thinking. So uh, I would I would intentionally sort of fall on the sword as Mario um, to try to find any other hidden exits, you know, because I just want to see whatever Miyamoto had, had crammed into the game somewhere. Uh, so yeah, long story short, I was completely blown away and could tell, I mean, just, just based on the colors, that alone, you know, I, I could tell that there was a really big difference going on. And uh, just things like that spin jump for the first time, you know, having a third button to use in a Mario game, mm. yeah. that was super cool to me. Well, I think the... Uh Going into it, again, first off, there's 96 levels in this game. It is huge. And again, you, you mentioned, I, I think it can't be um, you know, underrepresented, the, the amount of secrets in this game and how it compared to Super Mario Brothers 3 where maybe you could find a whistle or something like that or you'd fly up and you could find like a pipe that was in the sky. You, you, you would literally, maybe like every sixth or seventh level, you would find a completely separate exit to the main exit of the of the stage. And it was just something that had really never been done up until that point. And this is a launch title for a system. This is like the perfect Dark Zero of the Super Nintendo, where it was arguably the, you know, maybe one of the top five games that ever came out for it. <laughs> like, I, I would probably put it in my top five just because, and we'll talk about this in the next segment a little bit, but... This is a game you can go back to again and again. You can wait six months and go play through it again and have 
so much fun. It was and find something new, you know. Find some, like I, I stumbled upon stuff in this like this recent playthrough where it's like holy crap! How did I know that that was there? How did I? You know, I was just so lucky to like find. You would see these almost little signals or like these signs of like, all right, based on this level design right now, there's got to be something over there. Like, look at I could fly under that thing and not fall to the ground if I can just either get a blue shell with Yoshi. Or if you can nail down that flying mechanic, which I never did uh, no. back in the day, um, and it was just it was it was it was so cool. And, and Yoshi was awesome. Like Yoshi was cool back then, and I, I still think like he was good in Galaxy too. But Yoshi was one of those like selling points to me. I'm like, oh my god, I can eat stuff. Like he is like makes me so powerful in this game. I always wanted to have him with me wherever I went. So I would even if I died with him i would go back to a previous stage which i knew uh it's like that first stage in the second world where you would first get the feather and you could uh find a yoshi pretty easily there's two yoshis in that stage so uh you could get access to one really quick press start then select exit out of that level and then go back to whatever you were doing and it it was just it was an amazing experience and to see that in the first first uh first game uh, was nuts. And it was also a showcase for a lot of what the Super Nintendo could do. Like if you look at the Mode 7 stuff, like when you defeated bosses or just the the amazing sound chip developed by Sony on the Super Nintendo and what that sound chip was capable of in terms of like echoing when you went underground, being able to have some like badass drum beats in it. The, mm-hmm. the scope of what that game could do in terms of sound – was just it was unlike anything and even when it came out it obviously it crapped all over the Sega Genesis you know except for a few certain games that were developed by Sega that really learned how to take advantage of that sound chip which the sound chip if you if you don't know for the Sega Genesis was incredibly hard to program for like even if you go to emulation of today's Sega games like it's really hard to get that sound right because of how complicated and complex that chip was to program for so it gives you a little bit of an idea where as a super nintendo was a lot easier to program for it was again like i said developed by sony i think people like out there say it was developed by um cause uh from sony he he developed that sound chip that might be wrong i'm going to say it's wrong because i don't again like to to say stuff that might be wrong but it was uh an amazing powerful machine that they were able to develop for 200 bucks and uh, just beat the crap out of everything else that was out there until, like, the Neo Geo. You know, inflation aside, $200 was really not a bad price even then. Oh, it was like 400 bucks today, right? Right. I mean, yeah, it, you know, much. to where my parents didn't have to think about it that much. They were they went for it. No, and in, in, in I think we... We started getting into when we start getting into the Super Nintendo. That's when game prices did start going up. We saw it a little bit in the NES with some RPGs that had lots of... Um, like lots of ROM on them, but with the Super Nintendo, when we started later getting games like Final Fantasy III, Chrono Trigger, um, Secret of Mana, where games were getting into that $80 price range just because of how many chips were inside it. Like open up Super, uh, open up Streets, uh, Street Fighter Alpha 2. Look inside that cart. <laughs> it was an expensive game to create. And it's, uh, again, one of those beautiful testaments to the Super Nintendo hardware that they were able to make so many modifications just inside a cart so they didn't have to put that hardware built into the system itself. But 
anything else, guys, before we go back to our revisiting segment? Well, um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've got anything else. I'm still I'm still shocked that games are that much. I didn't buy a lot of I didn't buy most of the games back then. Either my parents or my grandparents did. So I don't I got like eighty dollars for a game, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's and that's like a hundred and twenty dollars now. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah, think that was, about that it. was half the, that was almost half the price of the hardware itself. Yeah. You know, so it's it's, it's kinda like uh buying an Ouya controller today. Oh yeah, well exactly. It's when when those later RPGs were coming out, the hardware was 150 bucks, and then it went down to 99 dollars when this N64 came out. So you're talking about spending as much, almost as much for the game as you did for a hardware, uh, at least for the that controller pack, which was a system and one controller. Um, I want to say I do have one other memory. Um, for so for that Christmas, I received uh, Super Mario World, and uh, I, I believe Pilot Wings as well. And nice. uh, yeah, yeah, which is a, a great game. But I, I just only wanted to play Super Mario World. And I remember my parents trying to get me to play Pilot Wings. They're like, "Hey, you have this other game too. You want to try it?" Because they had bought it separately, specifically. And I just did not want to. And I think that sort of became a, a moment of uh, sort of a hostile moment. I think everybody really wanted me to try the other game, and I just wouldn't do it. Uh, which I believe is a testament to how great Super Mario World is. There's nothing against Pilot Wings. Yeah, Pilot Wings is all right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think Pilot Wings '64 is when that game is when that series actually hit its groove. Um, I'm not I'm not going to hit on Pilot Wings, but all right, let's. Uh, it's a unique game. <laughs> it's go, it's a unique game, and it's a great episode of Game Center CX. Find it on YouTube. It is a ton of fun to watch the Cacho. Try to play that game. It is uh, lots of fun. So stick around. we got some more music from Super Mario World. We're going to come back, go about 20-something years into the future, and revisit the game as we played it this past week. So stick around. Okay, we're back for the revisiting segment. We are at present day, and for the past week, we've been playing through Super Mario World all over again. And I was playing it on Super Nintendo, but I think it was Trey. Trey, you you, you played through it on the Wii U. I did. How was that? It, it, it was. It was. You know, I did the off-screen uh, thing, so my oh, cool. TV. But uh, yeah, it, it was good. You know, it, it runs pretty flawlessly, so uh, I didn't have any issues with performance. But uh, it, it's nice to be able to play it on handheld. I mean, I had the Game Boy Advance version at one point, but uh, this was it was nice other than the short battery life. So pretty, uh, pretty good port. 
I yeah, the D-pad, man. The D-pad on the Wii U controller is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. I enjoyed it. It was fun to sit down here and and play it. I did, I did hook, uh, you know, when my wife wasn't watching TV, I did plug it into the TV and play it on the big screen. But, you know, it was it was a good experience. Nice trip down memory lane. How does it look on, on the big screen uh, up, upscaled with the Wii U? Uh, a little stretched out, but not, not too, too bad. It's okay. a really pretty game, so... One of the things that I'm going to recommend for everyone out there, if you if you're like enjoying this podcast and you want to go back and play some of this stuff, I think I'm always a little a I'm a little bit concerned about going through Nintendo services to buy retro games, just because again it's not linked to anything. So if you your hardware is lost or something like that, you're more or less screwed. And um, yeah, so so one of the things that you might want to look into, and it's one of those things since I'm, I'm moving to Japan in a couple of weeks, I can't obviously bring my 32 inch Sony Wega TV, which is beautiful, um, mm-hmm. with me. I'm looking into buying what's called an XRGB3, or the the same company. It's like Micromsoft makes a thing called a Framemeister Mini, which is an upscaler and it adds scan lines to your video games, which makes it look fantastic on an HD TV. So if you're hooking up like your Super Nintendo right now, straight through composite to your 55 inch big screen TV, uh, and it looks like crap and you're, and you're not happy about that. This is one of those options that you want to look into. You can go and get them through eBay They make them in Japan and sell them in Japan, but you can order them through eBay and uh, get them shipped to United States. It's going to run you about 400 bucks. Like it's not cheap. But if you do want to still own a cart and say, instead of investing 350 in a Wii U, I'm going to invest 400 into this and buy a bunch of carts off eBay, which are just absolutely astronomically expensive right now. NES and Super Nintendo stuff is through the roof. And N64 too. I, I, just from browsing this past week, I can't believe how high that stuff has gotten. So maybe actually yeah. Wii U is a better, better choice. You'd think so with these- Virtual Console, they would be cheaper. Yeah, but ha- there's nothing on Virtual Console as- except on the Wii. Like on the 3DS yeah. and the Wii U, there's nothing. Yeah. So these carts are essentially like the gold of uh, of like today's investments. You know, there, there's this like fringe of people who are afraid that everything's going to go under, and so they're only buying gold. Well, um, yeah, and silver, and so these carts just like keep getting more and more valuable. The only thing that has gone down in price over the last couple of weeks or that I noticed was the uh, copies of Earthbound are getting cheaper because they announced that Earthbound is coming to Virtual Console, which, by the way, they haven't given a date. They just said, you know, it's like how they said they're going to start linking up all the consoles together a couple months One ago. One day. But uh, that, that price has gone down to about like 150 bucks for a loose cart. But mm-hmm. when you're seeing like stuff like Stuff, stuff like Turtles in Time go for $50. It's nuts. Like a loose cart, no box, no instructions, in pretty good shape. It's unbelievable. And I'm just happy that I have the Super Nintendo stuff like I have. And like I said, it, it, it makes the trip to Japan worthwhile just to buy everything on the Super Famicom and Famicom because it's so much cheaper. Like a copy of Super Metroid cost me 8 bucks in perfect condition in Japan nice. a couple months ago. And that's not uncommon. Like that's super common. And same thing with uh, things like, oh my god, like like I was saying before, like you get copies of all the Street Fighter games for Super Nintendo for a hundred yen in great shape. It's it's not hard to find Super Nintendo games for a dollar, three dollars, and it might just be one of those things that you want to look into. And even if you buy one of those, like they have boxes for a hundred 
Super Famicom games and Famicom games through Japan on eBay too. It might be worth just spending like 200, 300 bucks and getting them through there and ordering a Super Famicom and playing that stuff just because it's so much cheaper. And I mean, you guys know how it is. As long as it's not like an RPG where you need to yeah. know Japanese, like I can play through Super Metroid on my Super Famicom. No problem because there's no text. And even there's an English language uh, selection in the menu anyways. So, And the Super Famicom looks a lot cooler. Than oh, it's yeah. so much better. It's so much better. That design is just timeless. Man, and, I, and I'm... I'll have to go look it up, refresh my memory. I don't remember what it looks like. Or just get some controllers. Get, I mean, the Super Famicom controllers, so they're super short, but uh, they are also... They're all uh, convex buttons. Instead of like the two concave on the top of the Super Nintendo, which I always I never really liked, but it just looks way better. It's more toy like, but it just you know, like Josh was saying, it just looks more timeless instead of purple and gray or purple and pea yellow. What's up with Nintendo and purple? Oh. You know, the GameCube launched in purple in the United States, uh, and then they had, you know, purple is a pretty pom- a prominent color on the SNES in the United States. 3DS, too. 3DS one with, there's a 3DS purple one. Yeah, does someone at Nintendo have, like, a purple fetish? I don't know. It's I don't like purple. I don't like purple systems, so I like black and white. That's that's yeah. that's what I want out of my I think that's console. what Reggie said in an interview, is that, you know, if, if it's not black or white, it doesn't sell well in the United States. Well, then release a black and white 3DS or black or white 3DS Reggie. Yeah, I know. God, yeah, what no a butthead. Uh, whatever, like blue with black or red with black. You know, just one color, man. All right, so Super Mario World, going back to this game, the biggest thing that popped out to me, and again, I played it on my Super Nintendo, and uh, the the level design is just amazing. It's super varied. It's There's so many mechanics and tropes that were presented uh in super mario world that carried on to all the other future 2d super mario games like ghost houses or uh you know again one thing i want to mention also the poles uh in super mario games like to jump on a pole to finish a level is not nearly as cool as like trying to jump and hit the goal like the goal like the moving goal post thing and try to get points where literally everything that you do in this game, there's a reason to do it because you're getting points for everything that you do. So there's always a reason to be playing a level and not relaxing because there's always stuff that can pop up, uh, which, again, I think when you get to the point in New Super Mario Brothers 48 where you're just jumping on the top of the flagpole every single time, and it's the same thing in Super Mario 3D Land. Every single time you can jump onto the top of the flagpole and get a one-up every single time to the point where they're pointless – where in this game, you had to have skill to get access to 100 points from finishing a stage. And then you would go to a bonus stage that would allow you to, uh, you know, generate some some one-ups and stuff like that. And, and one-ups were quite valuable. Uh, totally. Like, you, Definitely. You, like you would be – I mean these Super Mario World is hard. It's hard today. And this is me after revisiting it maybe a year ago or six months ago. Um, it was when I got that Super Mario Brothers 4 card. I'm like, I got to play through this and see what's different. And it's really just in Japanese. That's the only difference. And the uh, the, the cool thing about this game is it, they, it has not gotten better. Since Super Mario World, the 2D Marios have not gotten better. They've gotten worse and they've gotten dumber. They have gotten shittier. And the that's the biggest thing that I've come across after playing this. And I played 
whatever it's New Super Mario Brothers two on three DS. I played New Super Mario Brothers. I played New Super Mario Brothers Wii. I haven't played the Wii U one, so people said that that has been get that's better. And obviously, we're going to talk a little bit later about New Super Luigi U, which is supposed to be a little bit more difficult. But the amount of challenge and just incredible diverse level design. The music is fantastic throughout, and the like. We talked a little bit about. Last week, how DuckTales had like different enemies for every single stage. There are so many different enemies in this game, and you don't even, you almost don't even realize it until the end of the game where they kind of take you through the cast of the game, like as they, they go through the finish. And it's almost like an end credits, but they show you pictures and names of every one of the enemies in the game where you're like, oh my God, oh my God, they only used that enemy for like two stages, but they like created him and all of his AI and stuff like that just for two stages. It was like almost the, for that time period, it was like the amount of detail, like Naughty Dog is putting into the last of us for a small area. It was what Nintendo was doing for super Mario world where they're just putting in these little things just for like one or two stages, just because it made sense for that, that level design. But one thing we mentioned earlier, the, the flying and being able to do the spin jumps. I never used spin jumps when I played this game as a kid. Never, ever, ever. Like I thought it was too risky. I would always hit it, hit the enemy and, and, and lose my like superness and I'd go back, back down to regular Mario. Um, but somehow like when I – or for some reason when I – I'm like, all right, I'm playing this game this week. I'm going to learn how to use that spin jump and I'm going to learn how to fly correctly. And, and I did. Like I learned how to – like float in the air with the cape like perfectly where I could get to secrets and stuff like that without needing to get a blue shell or without needing to like have access to a certain area. Like it was literally just, I I didn't realize I didn't need to press up and down. It was just to press like left and right, left and right to float up. Like it was some, it was like a magical revelation that defies all muscle memory though. It just blown my mind. Yeah, no, it, I'm, I'm dead I serious. I Wii U gamepad that I couldn't do it because I, I've been trying to do it, and I was like, it's this damn gamepad. Like, I was having a time trying to, you know, fly <laughs> with the cape, so gosh. Nope. Now, now I feel stupid. But and, and if you think about it, that spin jump in certain uh, areas, like when you have, like, the hard hat type guys where if you jump on them, like, they could, or, or like, even just um, the ducks where you would the birds when you would jump on them and if you didn't want like a shell bouncing back and forth between uh two two walls you could do a spin jump on them and just have the thing completely disappear and i never realized like that is why you would want to use that thing but it made the the playthrough like so much more enjoyable it was like a whole new it was like having access to a whole new move because i had never used it before it's like a dlc for the first time yeah, Josh, what was it like for you to, to, to go back to the game? Uh, well, I ended up playing it on the Wii U Virtual Console as well, but I got this really cool gift from my wife a couple of years ago. Um, and that's the gift, not my wife a couple of years ago. It's still the same person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she got me this uh, Super Famicom Wii controller, which was a Club Nintendo reward in Japan. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it plugs directly into the Wii remote. And I think these are, these go for like 80 to a hundred dollars on eBay. Yeah. That's, that's serious, man. That's a, that's a really good thing to have. Yeah. She, she knows that I'm just like obsessed with, with 
retro stuff and with classic D pads. That's everything. awesome. So that's why she got it for me. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, it was one of my favorite gifts. And anyway, uh, so I played the game with that. So it kind of felt like the best of both worlds because I was getting to play it with like an authentic feeling uh, control pad, you know, because it is an exact replica of the Super Famicom pad um, while getting the benefits of like upresing the game on uh, the Wii U Virtual Console um, and the restore points and all that. So it was, uh, it was a really nice experience that way. Um, and, and something that stood out that I thought was kind of funny that I wanted to bring up uh, that I noticed right away is that uh, we talk a lot about how um, on these cart-based games, uh, everything is really fast, and that's why Nintendo was into it. You know, that, That's why they stuck with the N64 having carts instead of uh, CDs, even though PlayStation had already sort of established the CDs would be the wave of the future. Um, Nintendo always talks about loading times, quick loading times, get right into the experience. And I still believe in that as well. But I do want to point out that you start this game, there's an unskippable text screen to start the game, um, which I don't think a lot of people remember that when they think about Super Mario World, but it's, it's this unskippable text screen. So uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same, perhaps. That's a great point. And I apologize. If, I've, if my audio has been bad this whole time, I didn't realize my microphone was set to my laptop microphone and not my other microphone... So I apologize ahead of time. That was my fault. Uh, yeah, I, I probably should check on that too. Huge mistake on my part. I usually pride myself on awesome audio quality and I am a butthead. So I apologize ahead of time <laughs> no, for that. You, you are the audio man. Uh, so yeah, that, that's something that stood out to me right away. But I just really want to encourage people that, you know, since we're already talking about spending uh, a bunch of money, um, what, what is it called again, Kevin? The thing you were talking about that cost $400? Oh, that XRGB 3? Yeah, XRGB. So we're talking about that. Um, and obviously, if you're into retro gaming, you're willing to spend some money on this stuff. Um, you know, you might want to spend some money on the Wii Super Famicom controller. Um, for any SNES game, you might play um, through emulation because, wow, that's a really great experience. Man, I feel so bummed out now. Stupid laptop microphone. All right. Anyways, you know, Trey, you mentioned you, you were going through the uh, Wii U. What was your, you know, overall experience? Was it great to go back to the classic? Yeah, this game's always fun to play. You know, I was I was talking with my wife. Um, I was like, we're going to do Super Mario World. She's like, oh, really? She's like, do you want to play through the game two players? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I get to be Luigi. So uh, we, we played through most of the game um, two player, but then... I went to sleep one night and I woke up and she was sitting over here next to me with the gamepad playing it without me. So she she's a she's a giant fan of Super Mario World. Man, you guys got keepers for wives. Oh yeah, yeah she's she's a definite keeper. But um, yeah, yeah, you only marry someone who really loves Super Nintendo stuff. Of course, that's the top of the list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, it's just dating material, not marriage material. For sure. Um. But, you know, uh, one thing that she pointed out that we were looking into big time was uh, the whole fiasco with the how the level, um, how the progress tracker goes. You know, there's 96 exits. And a lot of people for a long time thought that when you go to the start screen, the, uh, the number it showed was like your percentage complete when it really wasn't. It's how many exits you found. So if you find all if you find all 96 exits in the game and you beat the game like you beat Star Road and everything like that, you get a little star next to your name. Have you guys ever fully completed it before? 
No, I got to 92 uh, back in 93, and that was about as far as I got. There's a, there's a big spoiler. I don't know if you want to reveal it, but you get something for finding all 96 exits. Is it a star so, next to your name or a star next well, to your safe you, file? You, you do get the star next to the safe file, but it changes the world, too. Oh, I think I have heard about this. The colors. Yeah, it'll alter the whole like world's colors, and then also you um, like some of the enemies will be different. So, pretty cool mm-hmm. little little feature there. But yeah, my wife was able to complete it 100. percent Well, 96 exits. See, I'm used to percentages now myself. But uh, she was able to complete it. And, you know, she was looking that up because she was like, at first she thought it was a percentage, but then she realized, you know, there's 96 exits in the game. And then, you know, once you do that, you get a star next to your name, and it changes the world. So that's a cool mm. little fact that a lot of people, you know, to this day still think it's a percentage thing, and it's not. So so the enemies are different. What do you mean by that? Like, there will be different enemies altogether, or, like, the AI is slightly different? It's just a visual change. Like, uh, I don't think there's... I don't think any of the enemies look like anything you've seen. I think they're... It might be, like, a little developer joke or something like that, but... Let me see if I can find a picture here. Um, let me try to find it. I can't. I cannot remember what they look like. Well, I guess they didn't go as far down the rabbit hole as like some of the PC developers did, right? Of like putting John Romero's head uh, in the on game. a stake. So, uh, yeah. yeah, they didn't change all the. They didn't change all of the uh, enemies to Shigeru Miyamoto or whatever. It, it, they look like. The Koopas, they look like they have Mario heads, I think. I think that's what it is. Hmm. But without the It's actually weirder than I expected. I'm trying to find the thing on it. I should have... Well, while you're, look, just... while you're looking that up, uh, one of the things that I wanted to bring up is the... For two things. First off, how cool that there is something called the Star Road, which has... Like levels that you have to find a key to exit out of. Like you can't just finish the level and you could easily bang your head against the wall trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to be doing to progress from there. And then once you beat every single one of those levels, you unlock the special road, which is incredibly hard. Like I was talking in the thread that and uh, I was talking with Trey off the air that I was only able to get through, like beat the first stage. Like I couldn't even get through the second stage. And I remember like we never got through past that second stage and we had the player's guide. Like we had the tip, the t- tips and tools that we needed to get past that, but we still cannot do it. Did you guys ever beat the special road? Yes. Oh my God. You're, you're nuts. Yeah, Trey, you you really are uh, Zelda two and Special Road. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, thank you, thank you. Uh, now it, my my wife has beaten it before I did. I I didn't beat it for the first time until after I was married, and uh, she showed me the trick to tubular. Which honestly, you need like the best way to do it is have Blue Yoshi. But yeah, know, it's. I've seen her beat it legit, like the way they intend for you to beat it. So I, I hmm. bow to her. Wow. She's, uh, yeah, she's. Did she's, she play it as a kid, or did she just kind of get into oh, yeah. it later in life? She, she does not play any new stuff now. Like 3DS is the most she will play now. She plays retro games all the time. Yeah. Like she'll, I, I can't tell you how many times she's played Ocarina of Time. Like she's, she's got that game memorized where all 100 Scatullas are everything. So when she hmm. plays a game, she pretty much learns it. So, but, I think that's a better way to play games, honestly, instead of feeling yeah, like you have to keep up with everything, which which yeah. I do. 
Many people she's do. Com- she's com- completely familiar with them. So, mm. um, but yeah, I, I I I've beaten Star Road, and uh, it's pretty pretty big accomplishment, I'd say. But yeah, it's. What what's the weirdest thing that you remember from Star Road? Um, that because I've only seen the first like level. Yeah, I think you mean uh, like special ro- special road. The the names yeah. of the levels are funny. Like you got you got uh let's see you got groovy you got tubular gnarly like <laughs> it's like whoa what, what what were they on when they designed those levels like they're high on the nineties. Yeah yeah seriously. <laughs> Yeah, like gnarly tubular, way cool, awesome. Sounds like uh, the like script movie. for Tubin. Yeah, and it's got like <laughs> these special, like the special like neon light flashing, and then the Famicom logo up top. Oh, I got something for you. All right, so I was uh, playing through Special Road, and I again I was telling Trey off the air like I went through thirty seven guys on the second stage, and was like screw this. So. I left the. I, I just basically left the Super Nintendo on because I didn't go back to a ghost house to save it, which you had to do because you couldn't just like save anywhere. And the, um, so I, I left it on. I went to go do stuff for like an hour, and then I came back and I turned my TV on. And you guys, do you guys know about the music on Special Road? No. How it changes and it cycles through uh, Super Mario Brothers. Like it just sounds super simple when you get into it. But then it starts cycling through, like the All Stars version, which it sounds like the All Stars version of Super Mario Brothers theme and other stuff. Hmm. What? Which shows yeah. stuff you can fit on those. Computers. No, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. Like, g- g- go to Special Road and just leave the system on for like 15 minutes. Okay, All right. I will. And, and and I swear to God, and listen to it, and you'd be like. But I did it for like an hour. You might need to leave it on for an hour. But anyways, it probably it, it probably is not that long. But try it out, I don't people know if at home. Battery life on this gamepad is going to last that long. Zing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm telling you, check it out. And it is one of those weird things. Like, oh my god, I can't believe it. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm going to do that now. All right, Josh. Sorry, you're going to say something. Uh, I was I don't recall Okay sorry we had to pause the recording Because I needed to go back and listen to the audio Just to make sure it sounded alright And since you guys are still listening to the show I guess it was okay and I apologize From now on I'll make sure my good microphone Is uh, selected and then locked in But Oh I remember what I was going to yeah. say I was going to say that Kevin I appreciate how much of an audio guy you are Because this show really benefits from that In terms of all the great music that we get to hear yeah, I think uh, part of going back to this stuff is, and we mentioned it in the DuckTales episode a lot, is that how important the music is when it comes to playing these games and experiencing them. And I think it is just as important as the graphics. Like if you have a terrible soundtrack in a game, you're like, I don't really want to play this. It's not fun. But when you listen to like the Super Mario World soundtrack and it's just like it more or less is coming off at the seams with just pure happiness and fun. Like, it's just saying, like, yeah, we're having fun. We're playing Super Mario World. Like, that is the uh, emotion that it's trying to get across. And I don't think it should be uh, – it, it, it shouldn't be taken lightly. Like, it is really vital for <laughs> games 
back at that time in the 16-bit era to have really good soundtracks because it was really easy to make bad soundtracks. Just look at, you know, I guess Carol you don't... the Acrobat? Oh, that wasn't that bad. I rented that from Blockbuster. It was... It was okay. I, man, I remember that game. It was like Carnival Nightmare music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it's my fear of clowns that makes me know Oh, my God. No, that game is super creepy. I, I was going to mention that. It's funny, Josh, you say something about clowns. Uh, Bowser's <laughs> little uh, thing that he rides around in yeah. in this game mm. terrified me. Totally. <laughs> totally. Like that thing, why is he smiling? He's evil. Why is he smiling? I don't understand it. I, was, I don't think we'll I did see not that thing wanna, ever again. Yeah, I did not want to fight Bowser because he was riding around in that thing and it looked like a clown. And, man, I'm still, like, 27 years old to this day, still terrified of clowns. But back then, that was, like, the height of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And yes. there was, like, an episode with a clown, and I don't do clowns back then either. So, ugh. That, that, yeah. that clown car Last thing, thing you rides around the Mario in. game. Yeah. Creepy clown. Yeah. Did, did we ever see that little uh, clown uh, flying device that Bowser used again? Like, was did that make any sort of like joke cameo or appearance in any other Mario game? I can't think of it. If it did, I want to say I've seen it somewhere, but I. It might have been in three D Land, like in one of those postcards in between worlds. Yeah. I, okay, I think you're probably right because uh, yeah, I, and that because was, that had like a retro like Super Mario Brothers three kind of feel to those postcards. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Um, yeah, that would that would be cool to see that again. Uh, but you know, one thing I want to point out about that fight is that that's one of those fights where like you're you just have a black background while you're fighting him. Oh man, that's a great point. I, I forgot to mention it. Yeah, dude, there's no HUD. There's no score. All there is is your item and you and Bowser. The scoreboard disappears. The clock disappears. Everything else disappears. It's just the item and your fight with Bowser. Yeah, I think that's really cool. It's nuts that they decided to make that cho- that choice to to like. It sounds weird for a Super Mario game, but to set the atmosphere and the importance, and it's like basically telling you, this is it. This is the last fight. Yeah, it's like cinematic. You know? that, yeah, none of those points matter right now because really the points don't matter in Super Mario World. And it, it this this is it. You just got to beat him, otherwise you got to go back to the beginning. Right, right, yeah, and, and that's uh, that's adding that level of like cinematic excellence that uh, people don't realize that some of these sixteen-bit games actually had. You know, well, how great is that closing music, man? Like, I can listen to that song every single time. That 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 credit music, unbelievable. It's a reward. Totally, you earned it at that point. You deserve to hear it. Mm-hmm. So, throughout Super Mario World, we get ghost houses. We get incredible level design. Unfortunately, we get auto-scrolling levels, too. We got Yoshi. We got incredible eight castles. We got secret areas. We had to go through the uh, Forest of Illusion, where you had to figure out how to exit you know, certain levels to, to, to make progress. Places where you'd be banging your head against the wall. All this came in Super Mario World, and it's set really a blueprint for what they used for those later 2D games. And um, unfortunately, again, like I said, it hasn't really gotten better. I haven't played New Super Mario Brothers U, uh, Wii, Wii U, but um, I, from, from the consensus, it still seems like Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario World, a.k.a. Super Mario Brothers 4 in Japan, is the best of the 2D Marios. Agree or disagree? I agree. I I agree, 
but I do feel uh, like you need to play New Super Mario Brothers. You, I mean, I'm not saying it's better than Super Mario World because it's not. I mean, trust me, it isn't. Uh, but it gets the closest in terms of creativity and and doing new things um, that are actually challenging and interesting. Um, it gets the closest to Super Mario World that we've gotten so far with the 2D Marios. Yeah, of all, of all the new Super Mario games. But it has terrible music still, guys. I can't do it. It's got a lot of want-wants in yeah. it, too. So. Like, that's such lazy... That's so lazy. Like, the again, the, the music in Super Mario World is timeless. Like, you can listen to it over and over again, and that music isn't used again in Yoshi's Island. It's not used again in Super Mario 64. It's just... It is for that game and that game alone. And when there's four new Super Mario Brothers games that use the same music, I just I can't do really it. Really, not much different than one another. Like, I mean, I, I think you kind of stands apart from the other ones, not just because it's in high def, but I, I just feel like there's a little bit of uniqueness to it. Whereas New Super Mario Brothers one and two on DS and 3DS, and then the one on Wii, they just feel too similar. Well, like I said last week, if you look at uh, whatever it is, Super Mario 3D World, it's yeah. it's new Super Mario Brothers, like strapped into 3D land, and it bums me out. <laughs> like I want a real 3D Mario, but if you kind of like you guys saw the videos, they had four players playing. Like the like, there's not a lot going on in the levels, and there's cats. Yeah, Maybe, yeah, the cat thing I don't understand, but. Again, it's an automatic one-up. When you jump, if you have a cat suit, you just crawl to the top and get a one-up. Like, I want some challenge out of my Super Mario Brothers games. And it's um, it's probably why, like, the next thing I'm really going to get to... Um, again, I keep saying I'm going to Japan, but um, I get to pick up a, uh, a Famicom uh, disc system and nice. new, uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 and try to, to, to get through that and... Um, See, oh. see what that experience is like. I want to say one thing about Super Mario 3D Land and Super Mario 3D World. Uh, to me, those games feel like, and I, and I like them a lot, but I feel like they get a little bit too much praise. Um, because to me, they feel almost like 2D Mario games um, set up like, like Final Fight or like a 3D brawler of some sort, if that makes sense. right? It's like you're moving around in 3D space on a 2D plane is what it feels like. Less, you know, not as much like you're in a fully 3D explorable world. Um, I mean, even down to the fact that you're playing levels and you're jumping on flags at the end. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I was a little disappointed as well to see that Super Mario 3D World on Wii U is going to be, is going to keep that same sort of design philosophy. Because when you imagine having four players in a 3D Mario game for the first time, that sounds incredible in terms of like go anywhere. But then when you realize that it's actually, it's not that different. Uh, it's know, chaotic. Like, it's the chaos of New yeah. Super Mario Brothers brought over to, to 3D, 3D Land. In one space, yeah. So instead of it being like Saints Row or something where you have a bunch of people exploring the same world. Yeah, that, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's... You're constrained to one uh, one screen. So yeah. There's no, there's no exploration. There's no breaking off from the pack. Right, so it's almost like... It, it, it's it, these are almost these are almost two D Mario games is, is sort of my point. Um, yeah, they might as well be included in the discussion alongside the, the New Super Mario Brothers two and all those games because um, these are almost two D games at times. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we go into the retro news ish section? 
I have a final thought. Um, I just want to say that I playing this game again, I had forgotten how cool the little um, cage walls are that you can climb on. And, um, you know, the enemies will go behind them sometimes, and you can hit them. And then you can go behind the cage wall as well. You guys know what I'm talking about with the mm-hmm. cage wall? Yeah, you punch the cage, you flip over to the other side, and then you're facing, the, you're facing like, the, the player. Yeah, how cool was that? It's you cool. You know, like, that's, that's, a, that's a small thing uh, in retrospect, but at the time, I remember thinking it was just incredible. And uh, even now, it just adds this sense of space to a 2D game. To, you know, to a game that's on a 2D plane, it, it feels like you're going deeper into the background. Uh, so I, I just thought that was that was really neat in retrospect, as, as well as um, just all the different things that would affect and manipulate the physics, like the little green uh, springy platforms. Uh, I think that they're in like the Vanilla Dome, uh, one of the Vanilla Dome levels. Um, so like you could stand on one end and kind of like spring off it really far, or you could stand closer to the uh, other side of the of the green platform and only bounce a little bit into the air. You know, just th- those sense of, like, almost realistic physics for the Mushroom Kingdom. It's just, just super cool. I, my final thought will be to, uh, again, thank you to, to Grammy, more than Grampy. Grampy just kind of, I think, went along with it. But for, again, uh, going above and beyond and doing a hybrid Christmas birthday present for my brother and I and picking up and finding a Super Nintendo at at Christmas 1991. Because like I said, if I didn't it, like get that Super Nintendo, my, my life could be uh, vastly different. It's one of those things that in the continuum of life, you don't want to go back in time and change because it could totally... Uh, you know, mess with the the outcome of the future. Like, who knows? We could have a different president. We could have, you know, uh, <laughs> created like some kind of like warp drive by now. Instead, all these little things could have uh, changed in history. And um, it is what has driven me to still play this old stuff today, and um, you know, have the experience and drive to to do stuff like this podcast. Well said. Yeah, well, very well said. Hopefully, they get iTunes up there. I hope they get iTunes and internet up, you know, in the afterlife. Check this out. And uh, there you go. It's a beautiful sentiment. Uh, you might still be riding around like on a huffy bike right now, though, without the Super NES. Oh well, it, it again. Thank God that uh, <laughs> again. I think I mentioned in the past, but the the magic of grandparents. Um, again, it was just um, my mom's mother always would get me. She was awesome, like, but she 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 would get me like a sweater or something like that. And then my uh, dad's parents, like, she she got me like the limited edition Ocarina of Time game with the T-shirt, like the pre-order T-shirt. Like I wore that T-shirt to school. Nice. Six, yeah, you did. Oh man, looking back, I'm like, oh man, why was I wearing a Zelda T-shirt to school? Like in middle school, that probably didn't do so well for my uh, my clout, but. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back. We've got some cool stuff to talk about, including the uh, new Super Luigi U and how that is going to affect the future of the Mario Brothers series and also uh, the 180 that Microsoft has done on the Xbox One. So stick around. Thank you. 
In our fourth and final segment, we're here to talk about some retro-related news. The first thing this week, New Super Luigi U came out as a downloadable content for New Super Mario Brothers U on the Wii U. Did you, either of you guys, I mean, you guys have Wii U. I don't have a Wii U, so did either of you download this? I'm going to get the physical copy when it comes out in August. 
Good man. I, I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, just the cover art's really cool where it has Mario, like, um, X'd out with gray, uh, well, not gray, with green spray paint. I think that's really cool. I know it's Trey cool. needs the Luigi one, too. It's got to have the Luigi cover. Oh, yeah, the green case and everything? Dude, I'm yeah. getting the physical copy. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be so rad. Uh, so, yeah, we're both holding out. I guess that's uh, a testament to our uh, retro love. you got to have the physical copy when you can. Well, it seems like the early impressions of it are kind of mixed. Like it, it, really? It seems like uh, – there. I mean there's plenty of positive stuff, but there are some people out there saying uh, some, some, some not-so-nice things about it. The challenge is definitely there. Uh, so if you're looking for something a little bit more challenging, then – it is probably a, uh, a great pickup, and it's only $20 to download it if you don't want the physical copy. The physical copy is $30, and like uh, the other guys are saying, it comes out in August. So it You is. have to have New Super Mario Brothers U if you're going to download Correct. New Super Luigi U. It's, it's like add-on DLC. It's not standalone. And I was kind of like surprised when they announced that price. I'm like, all right, so basically I can get – I can just skip New Super Mario Brothers U if I end up getting a Wii U at some point. And just get the Luigi game, and it's the same levels as the first game, but just modified, right? And you might enjoy it more, considering you know that it's more challenging in this case. I just don't know about the physics, like the floaty Luigi stuff. Oh, I like that stuff. I think it makes it more challenging. Maybe it does. His, ju- his jumping being a little bit harder to control, but he can jump so far. I was watching a video of them playing it. He can jump really far. I saw the red line. I saw the red line where Mario, how high Mario gets and how high Luigi gets. I see yeah. the stats. <laughs> yeah. That was sort of like some NFL draft kind of stuff. It, it was Nintendo. It, it, it's, <laughs> it smelled like Nintendo and their weird marketing and stuff like that. At least they weren't. Uh, I mean, we didn't even talk about the now you're playing with superpower or like the play it loud stuff from Super Nintendo days and how bad some of that. Like the advertising was in, in Nintendo Power, like the gross meatloaf lunch lady, like scratch and sniff stuff that they had back uh, back then, but back oh in the God, day. I remember those. Oh, they're terrible. Uh, like, again, I was, I, like I said, I've been going through some like PDFs of old Nintendo Powers, and to look at some of the advertising that they had for the Super Nintendo, it'd be like, how the hell did they sell any copies of this stuff? And you could tell for like, Secret of Evermore, which was published by Nintendo, like the advertising was so bad. It was it was so bad. It was so terrible, and it was not a surprise that it didn't sell any copies. Yeah, but, that they really were uh, sort of shooting themselves in the foot in some cases uh, with with that like in your face extreme, which I get that was a that was a product of the '90s and that worked in some cases, but it didn't really make sense always for RPGs. You know, for Earthbound, for example. Mm-hmm. The uh, the other big piece of news that came out this week, and I saw it while I was with a client, uh, like in between clients at work, I went to go check Twitter, and I noticed like if I have like this section for just game gaming, like Twitter people, and when I saw there was over fifty tweets, I'm like, something just happened, and that something was Xbox coming out with a announcement saying that they are undoing all the DRM stuff that we've been talking about in the last two weeks, literally to the point. That they're saying it is going to work exactly like the Xbox 360 minus that you're going to have to do an initial like connection to the internet when you buy it for initial setup. And after that, you're good to go. You don't ever need to be connected to the internet ever again except for games that require it. And uh, it is a – like the media has been trying to say it is a complete 180 
So this is, I guess, good news. I don't know. Does this change your opinion on like wanting to pick up one of these consoles, Josh? It means that I will pick one up down the road. Um, I'm still. I have a PS4 pre-ordered because I, I just think that it's it's a lot of things that I want in a console, and it has the big indie push that Microsoft does not have. And I love indie games, as I think a lot of people who are into retro games do. Um, they feel like like a pure extension of um, gaming from the '90s to me. So, so I'm going PS4 right away. But this this is the difference maker in terms of me eventually getting an Xbox One. Because there's stuff that's coming out just on Xbox One that I definitely want to play. I just don't want to play it so badly that I will pay uh, $500 right up front. But I want to play Below, you know, which is from Cappy, who make the Sword and Sorcery and some of that stuff. So they do have some interesting games that I want to try later on. So yeah, it's a difference maker um, in terms of I can buy games and know that I own them no matter what. And that if my internet goes out, I don't have to worry about a 24-hour check-in. Trey, how fast did you go to Amazon and pre-order that thing? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not getting an Xbox One uh, initially. I, I, I want Halo Five, but I don't trust Microsoft. Like, who's to say they won't a year from now like decide to implement that stuff once people they, once they've sold their initial amount? The fine print says they could totally do that. They said the fine print says really it could, yeah. They said they can it, totally reverse it. It says <laughs> that, and you know, okay. Their original intentions with that console were to do all the stuff that they announced it to do. And somewhere, someone still wants that stuff to be happening. Like, they still want that DRM. Uh, you know, I don't know if publishers are going to maybe push for it, but I, I, I think Sony not announcing it kind of, you know, I think that caught Microsoft and said, well, you know, if Sony's not doing it, then, you know, it's not going to be like a standard. So, I, you know, if, if, backlash gets really bad on this we could go back and change it so i guess i guess that's what prompted them you know they got all the negative press i think jimmy fallon was pretty harsh on microsoft too you know he does a lot of game uh, game stuff on his uh talk show Mm -hmm. and i think he made a lot of comments about um xbox one and the used game thing so you know but he was doing it he was on with uh mark cerny and basically He's like, oh yeah, the PS4. This is the one that can play used games, right? The only one that can play used games. That's what he. That's what he said. And I guess the next day, that's when this whole PR thing came out. Yeah, and I heard something. Uh, I they haven't officially announced it, but I heard that they might not even make Connect a requirement now. I think it'll ship with it still, but I, I I've heard that they're gonna take away like you haven't have it plugged in because you know a lot of people have problems or have an issue with the privacy thing. You know, that's so nice of them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> For now. Yeah. For now. I just No, you know go ahead. I don't I I was just going to say I I pre-ordered a PS4 initially and then the last couple days I've been thinking all right, first off, I'm going to have to get this shipped from America overseas, so maybe I should wait. And then also in terms of like launch stuff, or at least in the first like 6 months, there's really not a ton that is calling my name and the uh right now i have a playstation vita and i have a nintendo 3ds as in a ps3 but uh i'm planning on just bringing like 3ds and vita just because you can get like so much out of those two now with the vita for all that indie stuff like they even have um hotline miami is coming out this week 
Yeah, it's a big deal for that. And that, yeah, and I played it on the PC, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I think it might be a little bit more fun with actual controls instead of a keyboard. And the, uh, I, I just feel like I can get a lot of gaming out of those two instead of having to. To, to like something, I'm a special case, but I think the the neither of them has really shown me that I want one right now. If anything, I'm like, I kind of want to, like I said last week, I kind of want a Wii U, but I after seeing them at Target for $229.99 and not buying one, I'm not going to buy one until it's back like close to $250. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely not going to pay $350 for one. Oh, hell no. And it's, and again, it's, it's one of those things that is just blowing my mind of Nintendo being dumb as shit and not like understanding what they should be doing to position themselves to to make some moves. Yeah, don't wait for the games to come out to drop the price. Drop the price and then when people see Mario Kart 8 in the store and be like, "Oh man, this new Mario Kart out, how much is it away?" All right, maybe it's like it's only like 250 or 279. Oh yeah, I mean that's almost like an impulse impulse is like one ninety nine or two fifty. Like if they can get to those price points, I think they'd be uh, in really good position. I think that might be a little bit too low, and they're not going to drop it a hundred bucks. But I think uh, something like that would get me to to go out to the store and 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 buy one immediately. Well, you, kind of enhancing on that a little bit, you know, uh, they asked uh, Nintendo's president, is it Iwata? Yeah, Iwata, the, the the guy that does all the directs. Yep. They asked him about the used game policy because that's a, you know, kind of a hot topic right now. And he said that their policy on used games is they want to make games that people won't sell. So, like, you know, I, I, I can respect that viewpoint, but when he says that, I'm, like, thinking, where are they? Like, where are the games that you don't want people to sell? Like, where, like <laughs> you're making right comments, but you're not delivering the product. I mean, I... Well, they, Wonderful 101 is the only game I see right now that looks like something I would not want to sell. Yeah, I I, mean, I don't even know anything about Wonderful 101. Like I saw the video on it, but I haven't been reading anything about it. So you know, I'll have to do some research on that game. But you know, I I, I like that stance. Make they want to make good enough games that people don't want to trade in. But like, why mm-hmm. would you say that when there are no good games right now for the Wii U? Like uh, I I don't get it. But hey, Game and Wario came out today, okay, Trey? It's it's getting terrible reviews. Yeah, it's not getting good reviews. <laughs> um, IGN gave it like a five. It's like a it's like a Wii Play kind of uh, review. Yeah, it's uh, that game. Uh, I, I don't know that that just it's value priced at forty dollars though. What's that? It's value priced at forty dollars. Right. This is <laughs> this is such a mistake. Um, and I and I love the WarioWare games. I really do. I like yeah, Smooth Moves was awesome on uh the Wii. That was a fun game. Oh yeah, I th- I think uh, you know, again, the the immediate new generation is just not super appealing to me right now and again, I I just find like I like to play portable stuff right now. I've been playing through Chrono Trigger right now on my my 3DS and that's been a good experience. I just don't like having to wait to, for stuff to boot up and and uh I don't know. Maybe it's Maybe I'm just getting old. Like I said, the part of the reason why I want to do this podcast is because I get more joy out of going back and playing Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, NES games, N64, PlayStation, even PlayStation One stuff. I get more joy out of that than like looking at like Far Cry Three. Like I used to play tons of F- FPSs. I used to be that guy who played everything on 360. Played tons of first-person shooters in college, and at a point. 
I don't know if it's related, but I played Spec Ops The Line. And if you look at like NeoGAF, like my Spec Ops The Line, like late to the party thing is like 120 pages long. Like it's huge. And uh, I said in that, like, I don't want to play shooters anymore. <laughs> like I, it, I, it, I really just kind of made me reflect on I'm going through another game where I'm shooting 300 dudes. And I kind of have the same feeling with The Last of Us, although at least there's like a different uh, there's a different tone to it and a different reasoning behind those kills. But are those- how do you feel? Um, you're bringing up something really interesting, and at the risk of getting a super off topic during the news segment, oh, we can do it, whatever. Yeah, exactly. This is that segment where we can do that sort of thing. Um, Hotline Miami. We just talked about that a minute ago, coming out on Vita and PS3 next week at a great price of ten dollars. I might add. Um, huh. You know, in, in a world in which we're somewhat oversaturated and and becoming tired because I I understand the same sentiment uh, becoming tired of just killing countless people you know having a body count of 500 people in Uncharted 2 or whatever you know that's the game that is constantly referenced Um, what about Hotline Miami because it's it's a very violent yeah you just made me sound like a completely contradictory uh, no, 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 and it's a great it's a great point though because I think it's maybe it's because it's not me taking you know sneaking up behind a dude slitting his throat like the realism plays into it when you see yeah. like in um, I'm not going to talk about why Spec Ops the Line makes me feel the way that I do because I think you kind of need to play it and if you haven't played it out there like it's been on PlayStation Plus it's super cheap and it's uh, it's always like five bucks on Steam but the uh, it it just gave me a feeling of like why am I doing all this killing? Where I look at Hotline Miami, and although it's 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 uh, the 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 graphics and the art is like over violent, like it is it portrays itself to be more violent than what if you did what you were doing, it probably wouldn't look as bad as what it looks like in there. Even though it's like an eight bit kind of art style, the the. I guess it feels like almost more cartoony, like almost Ren and Stimpy type violence with blood instead of the, you know, sneaking up. Again, like I said, I I don't want to sneak up behind a dude and put a shotgun to the back of his head and blow him away and think that's cool. Or even Gears of War, I don't want to like go up to a dude and chop him in half anymore. I feel like I'm getting... It's so weird how my tastes have changed in the last year to the point where I want to just like go back and play platformers and I've heard it mentioned a lot, but and, and you guys can give me your opinion on this, but people always like their, their favorite, whatever music or movies or video games always take place like between like the, the age of eight years old and like 14. Like that's, that what makes, that's what makes your taste. And for me, I think it holds true. Even I just can't find, the the desire to play a super violent game. I'd rather play something that's a little bit more like The Last of Us is unique. It's a unique story and it's a unique um, type of storytelling that makes it worth the violence. And the character has to like make it worth the violence for himself. It's more earned in that game. Yeah, it, it's totally more earned instead of like, you know, Call of Duty 48 that's coming out is going to be just mowing down tons of dudes, going in that AC 30 or 380 or whatever it is, and, and just shooting dudes from from the sky. And that is just not 
for me anymore. I just don't want to play a first-person shooter. I'd rather play like maybe something like Portal or something that is on the 3DS. Like I think like Mighty Switch Force that is like a newer game but in 2D and it's super cool. It has great music. Like I bought that even though I hate Nintendo's eShop and instead of, you know, spending money on you know a, a new disc-based game yeah, and there's a ton of gameplay in that game, too, you know, uh, in terms of doing time attack, score attack type of play. Yeah. Uh, you can get it's a simple. Like it's simple. It's good, though. Or whatever it costs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, again, my, my tastes are kind of leaning towards that. That's why I like having the video, like, where I can load up. I can buy – I just bought uh, Grandia or Grandia. Grandia? I think it's Grandia. Grandia? Uh, I think it's Grandia, yeah. Okay, for, for the PS1, for $6, and it's like a 60-hour RPG with beautiful, beautiful um, art in it. And the, uh, instead, or I could spend like $60 on an eight-hour, like, if I'm lucky, maybe a five-hour first-person shooter where I kill um, kill a bunch of dudes. It's just where my tastes are leaning now. And, you know, again, nostalgia, It's uh, <laughs> it gets you. Trey, uh, where do you weigh in on the violence? I'm really curious since you're around the same age as us and uh, you have a kid. So ask me that again. I'm sorry. Yeah, where do you weigh in on the violence um, of of like mainstream games uh, right now? As somebody who um, has a kid and is around the same age as me and Kevin. You know, the violence doesn't bother me as much. I I, I kind of feel like games now. They're like, my problem with Call of Duty is like it seems like with every like it's like Activision is trying to compete with itself it's like h- how can we like th- they go for shock value like they they try to make it more like a movie than a game and like they're like okay well in Call of Duty 4 there's a nuke what can we do to outdo that and like they don't look at like the overall quality of the game they're just looking at like different things they can do to make you go <gasps> like wow you know like Modern Warfare 2 they had this scene in the airport they even like gave you the option to skip that level because it was so outlandishly violent and like oh, yeah. you know, terroristic yeah i don't, I don't know if you guys remember all that controversy but you know the the I, I don't know like yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of with you guys like I, I would rather play something that's going to give me a unique experience because i've played the violent games i kind of feel like you know what else is there to do i mean that's not to say i won't play them i mean i'll still you know play just because i like to play games but i don't know it, it's it just kind of seems like they're not focusing on innovation. They're focusing on topping what they did last by creating cheap little shock moments. So that's a that's a really good point, and uh, you know, kind of uh, along the lines of what Kevin was talking about with uh, yeah. the Last of Us feeling more earned. You know, so it's not like violence can't be in games. You know, like yeah. one of my favorite films over the last few years is Drive. I don't know if you guys have seen Drive. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's. It makes me think of The Last of Us in terms of its like intimate like violence. It's like three feet away from the person, you know, and and, and like melee style violence. Um, but it's completely yeah. earned in that film. It's not gratuitous, um, and 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 I understand why it's there. And so, and it's the same kind of phenomenon in The Last of Us. So I'm okay with it when I, I guess that's sort of the point I've reached is that. I'm okay with it when it makes sense, but when we can actually step back, like like with Spec Ops or Uncharted 2 or something, and say, "Why have I killed 800 people in this game?" That you know that that really shouldn't be about this, uh, or, yeah. or even Bioshock Infinite. You know, like why have I killed this many people in Bioshock Infinite? 
That's a, that's another one that I played that I feel like I was playing just to experience the story more than yeah man it's so cool it's so much fun to like chop this dude's head off and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, exactly. That you just start playing it just to see through that narrative. And and you know Ken Levine's a great storyteller. He's been signed on to write the Logan's Run uh, remake. I don't know if you guys know about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I almost feel like that's what he's delivering at this point. Is you know things where the gameplay is very secondary. All right, I think we're gonna close it out with some game recommendations. And just so you guys are good to go, I will start it off with a uh, Sega Dreamcast game. And the the cool thing about the Dreamcast is that it is more or less a consoleized version of the Sega Naomi arcade. Uh, hardware so you saw a lot of easy ports from the naomi to the dreamcast which were literally like perfect arcade ports where they did not have the credit uh option in it you just had you know more or less free play so the uh game that i'm going to recommend this week is one of those early games and uh the i don't know what's what's the best way i can put this so you you boot up the game and you literally see like the uh like the arcade like rom not like like loading and then stuff like that um oh my god why did i just i just forgot the name of this game it was right on the top of my head and i i thought it was like i knew it so i didn't i thought you oh i know what it is okay sorry uh zombie revenge uh for the sega dreamcast and it is a 3d beat-em-up where you can pick up uh, you're obviously fighting zombies, and you're trying to, like, it's crazy, terrible story, terrible voice acting, the lines of House of the Dead, where you would more or less try to fight your way through these areas. You'd have to find key cards. You would be able to pick up guns and use guns against these zombies. And every single time you would bend over and pick something up, the, like, announcer of the game would say what it is. So you would bend over and say, bullets, bullets. Bullets, shotgun, shotgun, <laughs> antidote, antidote, and I, and I just like thought metal that. Metal slug. Okay, oh, yeah, well, yeah kind of, um, but not as cool. It was. It's a really <laughs> weird game, and it is just a fun game. If you like a fun cheesy game, if you have a friend, uh, in, in like is over and you want to play through that, I definitely recommend picking it up. And it's super cheap. It's like five bucks on eBay. It's not an expensive or rare game, and it's uh, again kind of like your diehard arcade type engine. Um, but it is uh, a lot of fun, and it's super dumb. Sounds excellent. <laughs> I'm in the mood for that. It, it, it's 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 a cool game. What do you got, you know Josh? Who published it. Sega. Okay, so it it was a Sega arcade game, yeah. essentially. Okay. Josh, what do you got? Um, I'm gonna go with Comic Zone on the Sega Genesis. All right. And uh, yeah, that's sort of a deep cut, and that's another uh, that's another game that came with a CD. We talked about Killer Instinct last week coming with the Killer Cuts CD. Uh, the original pressing of Comic Zone came with uh, a CD, but it was not music strictly from the game. It had like Jesus and Mary Chain, and uh, just a bunch of rock bands, kind of like garage rock and indie rock at the time. Uh, anyway, I, so I just have a fond memory of getting that game when it came out um, for my half sister. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's it's a 2D beat-em-up type of game, um, but not 2D in the sense of like Final Fight where you're moving around a 3D space. It's, it's strictly 2D in, in the sense of side-scrolling. 
but you're moving through comic panels. So you're advancing through like the pages of a comic book the whole time. It's really hard. Um, you're, and it, it's one of these like postmodern kind of things where you are the illustrator of a comic book, and you end up being pulled into the comic book, uh, which was sort of a sort of a '90s thing. Uh, oh, and even before that, with like Looney Tunes, there'd be episodes where Bugs Bunny is being drawn the whole time, you know, and they'll like manipulate the environment. Or, was it Cool or World? The, the the other movie where the guy got pulled into the comic cool world that movie yes yes that, that's, so that's kind of like that yeah. uh yeah we're really deep in the well of uh, references today but uh comic zone it, it's pretty hard um beat em up elements advancing through a comic book uh really neat looking art it's just a cool game uh, i believe it's available on the virtual console for the original wii if uh if if you don't want to go buy the cart Trey, finish it off. What do you got? I'm going to go with a PlayStation RPG that is kind of hard to find. If you can't find it on PlayStation, you can find it on PlayStation Portable. It was ported over to it. Uh, Valkyrie Profile. Ooh. Sell me on this game because I own it and I have yet to start playing it. Okay, well, it's based on Norse uh, myth- uh, mythology. Mm-hmm. You're this Valkyrie and basically you're going to recruit a bunch of characters because the uh, Ragnarok is approaching, which is like the boss. Um, uh it, it, the cool thing about it to me is it's a 2D game, like a side-scrolling game, but it's got RPG mechanics. It's got a little bit of platforming in it, it and it's got a lot of uh, you know RPG mechanics with the combat and everything. It's you know, it, it's really engaging. I, I think it, I think the coolest part about it is there's a lot of characters that you can recruit to your party, and they all have like their own backstory. So even with a lot of characters, you still like have characters that are fleshed out. You're not just recruiting people that you don't know anything about. You find out about these characters, you know, and it's kind of like it kind of reminds me of Mass Effect 2. I don't know if you played Mass Effect 2 as far as like story goes. The main story of Mass Effect 2 is not that big, but you spend a lot of time doing all your crew members like side missions. It's kind of got that kind of same vibe to it. And it's got multiple endings. Valkyrie Profile does that is. Um, So, you know, playing through it a couple of times is recommended. Um, the best ending you can get, I think it's called like the A ending. You probably want to find a guide online somewhere for, because I think there's some measures and certain things you have to do to get that ending. But, uh, I mean, I think it's a pretty innovative game. I think it's developed by Tri-Ace and it was published by Enix while they were still like their own individual thing. How's the difficulty on it? Uh, is it, it, because like I said, I'm not, I'm a very casual RPG guy. Right. It, there are some boss fights that are kind of difficult, but you know, I I'm not I'm I'm with you. I'm a casual RPG player. I don't play anything that's like, you know, ridiculously hardcore. Uh on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd probably put it at about a 7. Mhm. So, it, I mean, it's doable. There there are some moments in there that can be frustrating, but it it's it's worth playing through at least once or twice. Okay. So. All right. Well, maybe I'll have to I get it on my PlayStation Vita, so maybe I should uh, give it a a go when I get on the plane. But um, all right, so that is going to do it for this week's show. Just to give you guys a rundown of what we have coming up in the next couple weeks. Next week is Shenmue. Uh, We're going to be firing up that Dreamcast swirl and loading in the beautiful 3D advent, uh, three disc adventure of Shenmue going into 1986. Japan and looking for some sailors. 
So that will be that will be next week, and then the week after that, we're going to be going on a journey to Silius. Look at these transitions. Journey to Silius on uh, back to the NES, developed by Sunsoft, and has some fantastic music. The week after that, we will be discussing Chrono Trigger. So that means I have to get off my ass and start playing more of that game. Yeah, I need to get on it too. <laughs> and start and start making my way through it because like I said, I never finished it. So that that will be my um my task right now. But it is it's super good. It's just like one of those things like, oh yeah, I keep forgetting I gotta play Chrono Trigger, even though it's every time I play it it's it's a lot of fun. So that's gonna be it for this week. Don't forget to check out backinmyplay.com. We post a article on there a couple days before we do the next episode to give you a reminder of what we're going to be talking about. Also, you can go to iTunes and type in back in my play and subscribe through iTunes as well. We have a link for that up on the website too. And I think that is uh, about it. Again, if you can continue to give us your support and spread the word of the podcast, tell your friends about it, it would be greatly appreciated. Again, the, the, the big thing that is going to be driving us to, to do this show is if people are listening, because if no one's listening, uh, it will just be us talking. So hopefully you guys will, will check that out. Again, backinmyplay.com, iTunes. And uh, until next time, like I said, we're just going to talk to Naomi or whatever and see if we can find some sailors to see you next week. Peace. Later. <laughs>